Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to the NYCFC In Conversation podcast. I'm Jose Medrano from NYCFC's digital team. Um, today we've got Sean Johnson on the show. Sean, how are you, man? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Um, so you've had an amazing week, man of the match performance in our home opener. Get the call up to your second camp under Greg Berhalter. How are you feeling? I feel good. I feel good. Um, obviously, it's been a good week. Um, I think, you know, obviously... Uh, been a better week if we could have capped it off with a win against DC, but um, yeah, you know, happy to be back in the uh, in the mix with uh, with Greg again with uh, this March camp coming up. Uh, it's important to keep building on what we what we started in January, and uh, I think uh, look forward to this weekend against LAFC as well. Want to go back to the beginning? Um, tell us tell us where you're from. Tell us how you fell in love with soccer. What were the first memories with with the ball? Yeah, so born and raised in Georgia. Um, 45, 45 or so minutes outside of the city of Atlanta. Um, how I got into soccer, my parents are both from Jamaica, so the culture of influence of soccer, um, watching my dad every Saturday or Sunday going to the Caribbean League and uh, going out and playing. And for me, I thought that was like professional soccer. So I'm like, every weekend I gear up to go watch a game. Um, you know, it wasn't a stadium, but for me going out and sitting just in the bleachers and being a part of like, you know, the culture, excitement, um, the music, uh, the laughs, the like, the vibes, I think, uh, is what got me interested in playing the game. And um, just watching my dad, I asked him if I could get involved. And he was like, sure. He's like, as long as you're committed to it, got no problem with you doing it. And so from then on, started playing organized soccer. What age was that? Was it goalkeeper right away? Like, how, how did it No, happen? it was age uh, 10 is when I first started playing. So I played rec soccer, age 10, um, just for fun. I think like the YMCA-like team. Um, 11 transition there's a stone mountain youth soccer association so our rec team went and then started playing like organized for specific divisions and then i moved from stone mountain to let's see i was still playing on the field as a field player at this point so from ages 10 to 12 i was playing every position i started off as a center back played center mid i played striker actually later on like closer to high school um i started playing goalkeeper for the first time at 12. Um, we were at a tournament in Jamaica, actually, with uh, my club team, and the goalkeeper went down injured, and nobody wanted to play goalkeeper. So he's like, guys, we can't play a game without a goalkeeper, so how are we going to do this? So I was like, you know what, like, I've always wanted to try this. I might as well step up and, you know, try this out. And it was muddy. It was raining. Um, but there was, like, an excitement, like, a rush of, like, being a goalkeeper. So I was like, wait, like, kind of like this. So from then on, I was like, Dad, like, I want to be a goalkeeper. I want to, he's like, all right, like once again, if you're committed to it, like go for it. But if you're not committed, don't do it. So um, started goalkeeper training, and then from ages 12 to now, basically been a goalkeeper. But there's a little period in there, like I think 15 to 14 to 17 in high school, where I played striker for my high school, which is pretty dope. <laughs> pretty dope. So you fell in love with goalkeeping, literally love at first sight, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. So goalkeeping, I knew there was just something about it. Like, you know, you pick up, like, pick up something that you really have a passion about. Like, from the first time you pick it up, you have that, like, special feeling about it. I think that's what that's what goalkeeping did for me. What was the soccer landscape like, like, around where you were back then? Both, you know, what teams were you watching? What were you looking up? Who, who was inspiring you to, to be a professional back then? Yeah, man, the soccer landscape for me, um, you know, especially, I think, in America, I never really – the only professional games I went to in Atlanta were uh, the Atlanta Beat, um, which is super cool. It was the first time I got to a stadium, and, like, Brianna Scurry was a goalkeeper for the Atlanta Beat, and it was, like, super exciting for me to go sit in the stadium and, like, hear loud horns and noises. So that was my first true, like, 
love of being uh, at an actual mm-hmm. soccer game and a soccer event. Um, but for me, my memories of soccer growing up were, you know, watching on a tube TV, not a flat screen, um, uh, watching Fox Soccer Channel, um, Premier Premier League, um, and, and watching Arsenal play. Um, that was that was my team to watch growing up. Um, obviously, Thierry Henry, Patrick Vieira, um, which closing you know the loop coming yeah. here you know and having Pat as a coach was pretty cool but um yeah just growing up and, and watching um that on, on on the tube tv downstairs in my basement in my first house is like my my first true memory of really being addicted to the game and looking back at it now where where was MLS at that stage and as an American kid you know, it's kind of unique. You have teammates, international teammates, like becoming that professional. How do you look back on that time? What was it? How was it different? Yeah, um, I say like my, my earliest memory of of Major League Soccer. Um, to be honest, like when I was when I was younger, I, did, I hadn't I wasn't even really aware of the league. Um, you know, as you know, like I I just got into the game and on a bigger scale. My dad was always watching you know, the Premier League, or I was watching my dad on Sunday. So for me, it was those two things. It was literally Premier League. And like the Caribbean League and the Atlanta beat, like those were the three things that like I had in mind. Um, and I remember they came out with uh, they used to play with this Puma ball that was dimpled, and that was my first like like okay wait this is like the MLS ball, and then that like raised my awareness of the MLS, and I started like watching a game or two, um, but obviously wasn't into it um, as much as the things that were like so like um, I would say like happening pretty much every week in my life, which was the Premier League and um, Caribbean League, so. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's just been, it was, it was just really interesting. The, the evolution of myself coming to the league 2010, um, until now the league has come night and day I and mean, the style of play, uh, the quality of players, the quality of, you know, the coaches that are, that are coming into this league, um, you know, uh, how this league's grown is tremendous. You mentioned when you came into the league, uh, drafted by Chicago, what was it like to finally have that dream come true for you? Yeah, for me it was it was a dream come true. Um, you know, it's I think the first time I played in college uh, was the was when I really my first season in college is when I really you know, made the decision. It's like wait a second, like this is this is almost a reality. Like I'm very very close to the professional level. Um, you know, obviously I have to put the work in, but I, it was it was like it was tangible. I was like I in, within arm's reach, and I was like. I'm gonna make a decision here. Like this is gonna become a goal of mine. You know, it was never really an immediate goal to always become a professional athlete. I, I understood I was big in academics. You know, I wanted to make sure that everything was all my ducks were in a row. I was checking off all the boxes, making sure I took care of what I needed to. Um, but when it became a reality, um, is I think when I got my first call up to the U.S. Under 20 national team after my first season in college, um, and then after that, getting my first taste of being around p- players who were already professional professional coaches, I think that really kind of gave me the extra boost I needed. So looking back on that experience, what advice would you give to young American kids now that are trying to do that, become professionals? Yeah, um, my advice um, is um, once once you have a clear-cut goal um, and, and you're driven about something, and, and, and you'll know, you'll know whether, like, personally, you're, if you're really driven about it. And I think going back to what my dad used to always tell me, you know, if you're committed to it, I'll allow you to do it. If you're not committed, then there's no point of even stepping foot into it. You know, basically saying like you're giving 100%, um, you know, chasing your dreams. Or if you're not willing to do that, then I wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't even, uh, you know, consider chasing it. So for me, the the whole process of um, becoming a professional player uh, 
was 2008. I made a decision that I was I was leaving school um, I, for from January until August or September. We had plenty uh, under 20 camps, but I had no idea I was going to be a part of the under 20 uh, World Cup qualifying team, the World Cup under 20 World Cup team. But that's something I committed to. I told myself like I'm going to be there. Like I spoken to his distance, did everything I could, was training um, in any different environment. First, my first experience in a professional environment, um, did everything I could to become part of that qualifying team. Then we qualified. Then did everything I could to become a part of that World Cup team. And then ultimately signed um, Generation Adidas at the end of, uh, I think it was September, October of that year. But from January until October, I was constantly told no, you know, by teams overseas. Um, I was constantly told, you know, uh, oh, we're not sure, um, we're not quite good enough. Oh, you're, you know, inexperienced this, that. There's like so many things on the road to becoming a professional athlete that if you're not committed 100%, you'll never get there, you know. And I remember sitting down with, with a coach of mine, uh, Mark McCain, um, back in uh, back in Atlanta, and just saying, "Man, like this road's been tough." And he's like, "Okay, well, do you really want it? Do you really want to become a professional?" And you know, it was like a, a moment of like, "Man, like, of course I want to do this." Like, but he's like, right, "What do you? What steps are you taking? Like, are you willing to like go to the, at any cost? Or are you willing to give up what, what's necessary to become a professional?" And I think that's when I made a decision. Um, and my mom and dad supported me the entire way. And yeah, hard way paired it paid off when I when I signed my first contract with the league and uh, kind of the rest is rest is history. It's kind of I think it's something people don't realize how how you say it now. It's I'm sure in those moments was really tough to to, to live it. Is that that mental strength that people talk about? Is that where it's needed? Is, is that how important was that? Is that do you think? Yeah, um, at a young age, um, I was really um, tested. You know, as far as my, my mental strength and, and willpower. I mean, you, you travel so many places. Uh, you train with train with this team. You train with that team. Um, you know, you don't sign a contract, and you have to come back to back home and say, "Hey, like mom, dad, mm-hmm. didn't work out, but I'm going to keep going for it." And you know. You know, hats off to my parents. They kept supporting me, saying like, "Look, you can do this. Like, keep going. Like, don't give up on your dreams. We're right behind you." And that was important for me too. Um, but you know, I can't tell you how many times I came home, like back to Atlanta. I was just hanging out at home. Um, you know, most of my friends were, you know, still a lot of them were still in college. Um, some were already professional, but there I was, just kind of isolated, like at home, and I would have to get out and just hit the streets and run on my own and then figure out situations to train and things like that. So um, there's there's a lot of times where it got difficult and a lot of times where you thought like, man, like this light's kind of like closing at the end of the tunnel, but you just have to keep yourself in the right mindset and just realize that like this, this hard work's gonna pay off and just keep telling yourself that. And you talk about your parents a lot and the influence we know you have Jamaican heritage, specifically a Jamaican heritage. How do you think that's influenced you? Yeah, I mean that's that's like that's pretty much like the basis of my whole um, my love for the game. I think uh, you know if anybody's uh, knows any uh, you know anybody from Jamaica or you know from Jamaican descendants, um, that that culture um, is ingrained. Uh, you grow up in that culture, your household, um, you know everything that I can remember from an early age. Um, whether it's the food, uh, the family get-togethers, the travel. It's all centered around like the culture, you know. And Jamaica was like the main place I traveled, so just soaking all that in um, kind of gave me, I think, you know, that um, you know that passion for the game that comes from the culture itself. You know, you talk about 
the culture of soccer growing in the United States, you know, I can see in five, ten years that being ingrained in kids growing up to say, man, like I have that burning desire to to really like invest myself in this game, you know, where, you know, you see a lot of kids with with that happening with basketball, with baseball, with you know, that's ingrained from the family culture. I think that that's kind of what enabled me to to get where I am today. So your favorite food is Jamaican? Favorite food, favorite Jamaican food is uh, oxtail. So perfect plate for me to just be oxtail, rice and peas, uh, plantain. Um, talk about bre- breakfast food, ackee and saltfish. Um, maybe some some bami. Um, not many people know what that is. Um, <laughs> what is it? It's uh, it's like a fried, uh, it's like a fried fried bread almost. Um, it's a little bit a little bit tougher, um, and uh, there might. Some people might have different names for it, but that's what we always called it, um, or just like some patty and patty and cocoa bread. But it's always good to be home, you know. Always have the home cooking, and uh, um, Thanksgiving and Christmas are always filled with uh, Jamaican dishes. Cool. Yeah. So you got your first national team cap in 2011. Um, eight years later, heading back into camp, what's different about you as a player? How have you developed? Yeah, I mean, I. I, I actually take a look at it you know often kind of my, myself I kind of reflect on you know where I was um, 2010 2011 um, 2011 my first national team cap I think my first camp was with Bob Bob Bradley when he was still with the national team um, and then the following year was, was Jurgen um, and and now um, and then I had and Bruce and then and then now Greg so um, you know the evolution I can kind of look at it, it was like every coach I was in a different stage of my career um, and now, you know, with the experience that I have and the experiences that I've had over the course of my career and using those to better myself as a player, um, committing to the craft and, and, and making sure that I stop at no cost to do what I need to do to um, help make sure that I can give um, first and foremost 100% to, you know, this club and then the guys around me at the club and help help make them better every day, um, I think have helped me, um, you know, get back to, um, you know, the national team picture um, and be a part of what Greg has going on. So. Um, yeah, I, I think goalkeeping, you know, they say, like, it's cliche that it's all about the experiences or the course of your career. But, um, you know, I've been playing for 10 years now, and I'm only 29. And in those 10 years, there's been so many different experiences. And you don't really think about them all at once. But in every moment that you step on the pitch, it's almost like you've you've taken the previous day or the previous months or the previous years, you stack them on. And then almost put this like you've had this mold now that has all these like experiences that you just naturally now have when you're when you're doing certain things um, in any situation you're kind of you're kind of prepared for what you've already been through. It's interesting because goalkeeping is so different, such a unique kind of. You're almost alone within you know within the team. Can you can you give us some insight into what what's going on in your mind? Are you thinking as you're scanning the field? Like what is it, what is it like to be a goalkeeper out there? Yeah. Um, so so being a goalkeeper, there's there's kind of two sides of the game. You know, there, there's thinking and then there's there's reacting, right? And you you're constantly thinking of how to help the team. How how can you help the team? How can my positioning help the team? How can my communication help the team? Um, how can my actions and distribution help the team? But then there's also the the things that you don't really think about in the moment. Like if you're overthinking, you know what's going to happen here then you start too many thoughts start coming in so there's it comes to a certain point where you start reacting and that's when you kind of rely on the experiences that you've had the training that you've had um, you basically put yourself in the mindset that what you've done on the training pitch uh, and, and what you've done for many years you has prepared you for for the moment to to do the right thing so um, it's a pretty unique thing you're by yourself in that box for a certain amount of it now 
2019, a lot of goalkeepers out, outside of the box, um, which is which is kind of a an evolution of the game, which is uh, which is cool. Um, but it's uh, it's just another another thing, another challenge that you take on um, and try to try to make sure that you can um, help the team with. Lightening up a little bit the topic uh, is potentially a controversial question, um, but you've lived in New, uh, in Chicago and New York, so I think Correct. you're in a great position to yep. answer this. Yep. Chicago deep dish or New York slice? It's easy. It's easy for me, and this has been my answer since uh, since I moved to Chicago from the first time I tried deep dish, um, New York style pizza, 100%. Um, I just for me the, the Chicago pizza is just it's just too heavy. It's not really like you get one slice and that's it. You know, I want to be able to like enjoy like multiple slices if I want to and there's just something about like the flavor in the New York style pizza. Um, I think most recently I was in uh, I think I was in, I was in Brooklyn and um, there's a pizza place Polly G's. Polly G's I think was the name of the place. Fire. <laughs> Fire. Dude. Good. Good. I think the fans will be happy with that answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, another f- kind of interesting question. Um, I remember when we went back out to Chicago. It was your first time back in 2017. Yep. Some young kids had a sign up, said Milkman, and they were yelling over Milkman to you. Yep. Um, can you tell us the story behind that? Should we be calling you the Milkman? Yeah. Um, so the Milkman, uh, I brought my hat if I didn't know we were, uh, <laughs> we're going to discuss the Milkman today. But the Milkman was... Uh, was something I did uh, with with Aldi. So uh, for it started off for one season, um, and every time I made three saves, every fan in the crowd would get free milk, um, and it was such a big hit. Every time the fans would get free milk coupons, everybody was flying into Aldi and getting <laughs> milk and all sorts. So it became a thing. So that was just my my name that was was deemed. But that milkman outfit, and if you haven't checked it out, there's still a video on YouTube. Um, I am proud of it. <laughs> Caught a lot of heat for it, but um, if you type in Sean Johnson Milkman, um, they're still out there. Um, that outfit I kept, I held on to, and so for um, for Halloween, I think in the ensuing years, I bring out the outfit or just randomly wear the hat. So I don't know. One of these days, I might uh, might bring out the hat, or maybe this Halloween, I might have to uh, to bring back the outfit. So you're cool with it? I'm cool, yeah, I'm cool. Man, I've, I've, I've come into the training facility to, to pictures of the milkman all around. <laughs> um, yeah, when, when guys caught, caught wind uh, that I was called the milkman and that, 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 um, that commercial was, uh, was out there, it was, uh, it was a tough time, tough time for me <laughs> to, to take on the slack. But no, nah, it, uh, it was a fun thing, and the fans there enjoyed it, and I think uh, it's still something that uh, will be held dear to the Chicago fans. Milkman always delivers. Milkman always delivers. So. <laughs> Um, there's also a really cool video I saw um, of you racing and talking about your love of racing, your passion of racing. Can you tell us where that came from? Yeah, so my love of racing, uh, my uncle built um, a Nissan Sentra back oof, 2000, 2006, which would be my junior in high school. So 2006, my uncle had a Nissan Sentra, um, and I took, uh, you know, he taught me how to drive the, the Sentra. Um, he fully built it himself, so upgraded turbo, built engine, um, you name it, uh, suspension, like had one seat in the car, so there's no passenger seat. So like if all my friends wanted to ride, they had to like ride in like the back seat that was still like just put like basically just like screwed on, like it was just hanging there. Um, so it, it was cool. So he taught me how to drive a stick on that car. Um, and ever since I you know, was driving that car in high school, my senior year, got, got used to it, loved it. 
everything about it and uh and that's kind of like what i used to go to watch uh, like autocross um events with my uncle and that's kind of what um gave me my love for racing just being around it and from then on obviously doing stuff with continental tire and and being able to go out to races you know there was a um i think we went to um i think of uh back in chicago um lavelle palmer was another player i used to play with um, went to Road America and did an event there uh, with Continental where we got to actually beat a race and we did some kind of um, some content there, which is pretty cool. Um, done some content on the track, uh, you name it. But just being around the uh, the culture of racing is, is awesome. I think it's interesting because it's almost similar to goalkeeping in that you're alone when you're competing. Well, kind of alone. Um, there's a lot of mental work that happens. Do you think there are similarities? Do you think that might be why you like it as well? Yeah. So obviously, you know, you're you're in the driving seat of a race car. Um, it's just you, and there's a lot of time for for thoughts to come in, for thoughts to go out. But at the end of the day, um, you know, when the whistle blows or you know when you know the the, the flag is what um, flag is waved at the beginning of a race, like you're off, you know, you're gone, um, and it's just you. Um, and, and whatever you do dictates kind of how the course of the race is going to be. And obviously. You have other cars in the track. You have other teammates that you're playing with, but it's very much a, a position of like an individual, you know, an individual within within a team. There's a race team, so that I guess kind of relates to mm-hmm. that as well. So you kind of have guys that are always, always there, always helping you out, always uh, um, helping facilitate, like cutting out plays, um, fixing fixing problems, um, you know, um, whether it's positive reinforcement, um, helping you out when you when you're doing something bad to, to tell you, hey, like. Maybe you're doing this. Can you stop this? Like teammates would say, "Hey, there's a guy on. Like, get rid of the ball." So, um, or hey, like you know, your, um, you know, your your tires are your tires are starting to go. Maybe take it easy. Um, make sure these tires last. We need to get through with the rest of the race with these tires. So, like, just simple communication that that helps along the way. So, there's so many similarities to, to goalkeeping and racing. Is it something that helps you kind of get away from the game a little bit and, and clear your mind? Yeah. So. Um, I would say um, still trying to basically like establish that here um, in New York, but anytime you can get behind the wheel of a car, like my car um, that I did the Continental commercial in the GTR um, is, is actually getting sold at the moment. So, um, but um, got some other things in the works. So we'll, we'll see uh, maybe later on this season, um, we'll have some, some content and uh, um, with, uh, with the stuff I have brewing coming up, but uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a getaway. It's an escape. Um, just being in the car, like you know, sometimes in Chicago or here, I would, you know, f- for whatever reason, you need to just get away and you'd be in a happy place. Um, just get out of the apartment, get in your car, just go for a drive. Just get out and just go. You know, just where, wherever it is, as long as you're in the car, like it's a happy place. So for me, um, whether it's whether it's a track, whether it's driving the training facility, driving back home from training, driving to games, like that time in the car is my time, um, and anybody that is in the car with me has to respect that. How important is it as a professional athlete to have that thing that helps you kind of clear your mind? Because people sometimes forget you guys are human beings, right? You feel things. Yeah. How important is that? Yeah, man, it's crazy. A lot of a lot of people only really see, um, you know, when they turn on the TV or when they come to the stadium. But there's so much more behind, you know, us as, as athletes and us as people. Um, you know, we're we're people as well. Um, you know, we're all wired differently. Um, you know, I, I may be wired differently than my, my teammate um, and. And people don't necessarily understand that in, in every moment. So everybody needs to have something um, or, or, or someone or, um, you know, something they can do to get away, something they can do to, to kind of free their mind. And, you know, whether it be if, it, if it's yoga, it can be yoga. It can be something that, you know, 
something like driving in a car that makes you happy. It can be like painting, like art, like you know, Breck Shea does art, um, like Ben's fishing, mm-hmm. um, Ben Sweat's fishing. Like so many places have different hobbies. Some places it's golf. There's got to be something that kind of takes you away from that that mental mental edge of being always like checked in on the soccer field get away from it come back um because it is is a lot like a lot of people don't realize after a game like no matter if you've done you know a crazy amount in a game or little to nothing like it's you're almost wound up for the hours after a game so you know seven o'clock game nine o'clock end you know midnight you're like you're still like amped up you know so um you know whatever whatever it is like players have to figure out a way to kind of come down and get back to the level a level head and be able to ramp up again for another game day what it what is kind of like your routine like now during season uh what's a typical day like for you typical day for me um during the year is uh wake up um you know have coffee um maybe uh overnight oats at home and do what i need to do maybe crossword or two uh then hop in my car come to the stadium um before training we always sit down we have breakfast together um before training after breakfast, change up, do, you know, pre-act, whatever activation stuff you need to do before going out, um, you know, see the trainers if you need to see the trainers, um, go out, train, come back in, also do what you need to do to take care of yourself, recovery from training is important to be able to go the next day and then prepare for games, uh, whether it's massage therapy, foam rolling, stretching, um, and then we have team lunch together as well, so it's a big part of you know, learning each other on and off the field. Then after that, um, do what I need to do uh, at the the training facility. Then I head home straight down the Palisades. If I need to get a haircut, stop stop at the barbershop, which is just five minutes down the road, which is perfect for me. Um, But once I'm home, kick my feet up for a little bit, maybe take a nap. Then it's either, um, you know, playing FIFA. It's a big one. And Sebastian Leggett, if he ever listens to this, will um, appreciate this or not appreciate it. But there's a few stories with FIFA. Um, I think it would be interesting to do a, do a phone call or some content with him because he, uh, he underestimated my, uh, my FIFA abilities last time we were roommates in uh, January camp. But we uh, actually had a bit of banter. Um, saying Was there that a big scoreline? There, there was, uh, it was actually heavily favored in his advantage. So to be fair, um, he has a PlayStation 3. Uh, PS3 and I have Xbox so it's a little bit different and I told him this before we started that I would need an adjustment there's an adjustment period so for the first day I mean he wiped the floor with me like it was bad but I was frustrated but I stuck with it and I was like look this is gonna be terrible for you and one day I was like one more day it's gonna be bad he's like listen it's like it's almost laughable and uh, so we play uh, we go we come back and there's at one point he just couldn't win a game anymore and, um, you know, I, I left off on a win just saying, you know, you're only as good as your last game. So uh, if he hears this, it's a, it's a challenge. We can maybe uh, set up one of those, like, e-gaming situations where we can uh, sit down and play. But, uh, no, it's all, it's all uh, good fun. Um, just, uh, just get home and, and chill, basically just kind of wind down. Um, you know, uh, live in Hoboken now uh, as well. So there's a lot of good places, uh, um, especially in the summer, too, just to go by the water, have a walk. Um, just kind of get out of the house and just be outdoors um, when it's nice, but when it's uh, when it's a little bit cooler outside, just kind of just kind of bundling up and just kind of enjoy my downtime on the couch or wherever it may be. So, so how much do you like New York City? Having lived here now a couple of years. Yeah, New York City's great. New York City's great. Um, you know, I used to 
remember when I used to play, um, you know, against New York City at first and travel here. I would, uh, you know, get into the city, you know, right after the game just to experience because I'd never, never been in a big city like that. Chicago's big, but New York's even bigger. And now living here for, you know, being my third year, um, just being just across the way and being able to take the ferry in, um, being able to, to take the path in whenever um, the bus, um, you know, right to Port Authority is, is perfect. Um, and then just uh, being able to explore the city's massive, the city's massive and, have a lot of friends in the city now, um, both both past players and just you know friends growing up, um, just uh, the relationships you build through life, and um, yeah, just being able to to be experience what the city has um, and and know you're in you know the greatest city. It's 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 incredible. Uh, so going back to last year, game against Philly, you save a penalty kick. Um, I remember thinking, God, that's got to be the best feeling in the world as a, as a goalkeeper. Is it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> there, there's so there's so many feelings that are that are good as a goalkeeper. Um, the the one best feeling is is just winning. Period. Um, two, I think penalty kicks are up there for me, especially at points in the game where it kind of takes out mm-hmm. the um, it just drains the energy of the opponent. You know, they've been pressing, pressing, pressing. It's an important part of the game, um, and to save the penalty and almost see like heads drop and literally it spurs us on to go on and, and raises us another level. So it helps the team, um, you know, raise the raise the notch again. Um, but, yeah, just about, I mean, any time I can do something to help the team in a game, um, it feels good, and, and penalties are definitely, definitely up there. The national team is obviously in a new era under Greg. Um, can you give us some insight into what it's like in the group right now? Is everyone optimistic of, about the upcoming years? Yeah, um, January camp was was great. Um, and I tell you what, like the energy, um, the enthusiasm, the commitment um, to learning, um, you know, Greg's philosophies and what what we wanted to achieve. Um, you know, set up, we're setting out to to change how people uh, view um, U.S. U.S. soccer, you know, and how we play soccer here in this country. And I think. It takes a commitment, and you know, not everybody. Um, you know, people might look at us at times and, and think we're we're crazy for doing some of the things that we do. But as a group, committing to um, the way we're playing and, and becoming really good at it, I think um, there's no question about anybody who stepped, um, you know, into that January camp um, now, or the guys who will step into the camp will step into the culture and, and learn. Um, you know, there's such a commitment from from the staff to to getting those principles across to players. There's such a commitment to making sure that we understand those. And then also the understanding, being able to, to help each other in any moment. So that understanding from the time that we started camp to the end of camp was was crazy. Like everybody would be able to sit in a room and literally break down an entire game, like just just the team, which is which is awesome. Um, and the way we, we wanna play. And I think that, that speaks to um, the commitment of, of the coaching staff um, and, and how Every single day, they were they were hands on. Every single day, uh, the communication was was unbelievable to the players, and, and making sure that we understood exactly what they wanted. Um, and we, it was a learning learning process for for the players. Um, and uh, I think we we did a really good job. So definitely excited to be back in. Um, I think everybody's more optimistic than ever, um, and I think committed committed as ever to making sure that that we are where we need to be um, in uh, in three years. Amazing. Um, You've obviously got a lot of years ahead of you as a goalkeeper, but have you given any thought yet to what you might do after after you retire after the game? 
man, I hope I play for another 20 years. I know it's, uh, it's highly unlikely, 20 years. But um, no, I think uh, I've put a little thought into it, um, and I've, I've explored um, some things. But I think uh, if you gave me, like, my one thing that I could do, um, if I was given a choice after I was done playing, I'd be in the seat of a race car every every single day just in the seat of a race car. Um, if I could have a racetrack in my backyard, I would, I would do it. Um, so, But, no, I think – uh, maybe sports car racing after I'm done, um, you know, just as, as a hobby, uh, or maybe you know, maybe I get to the point where I'm actually able to do it for a profession. But uh, but yeah, um, there's there's a lot of interest I have that will look to you know see like what really makes sense. Uh, I think in the next like few years and really like start to build towards towards that. But I think for now, um, you know, 100% of my my focus and energy is on um, you know bringing a championship to this club. I think uh, you know it takes a lot. A lot of dedication, um, a lot of focus, um, and a lot of a lot of time and effort to, to make that happen. So, for now, that's uh, that's the short term. Uh, it's now a bit of a tradition to end these podcasts with a little bit of a round of superlatives. So, All right. I'll give you a category. Yep. And you name who on the team fits that category best. Cool, cool, cool. Let's start with class clown. Class clown. Uh, that's easy. Jonathan Lewis. Jonathan Lewis is a class clown, and he's uh, he's he's full of energy all the time. You can always count on him to say something just off the wall, and you know have the entire group just come at him, and then he'll just turn around, exit the locker room, and, and do his thing. But yeah, he's a clown. Man. He's a clown. Who's the teacher's pet? Ooh, teacher's pet. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. I think I'd have to go with. I think Mitri. I think Mitri. My man is. He's just so good that I think at times, like, he just takes everybody, I wouldn't say by surprise, but it's just like a confirmation of, man, like, this is why, like, this guy is, like, legit, and this is why he's, like, our guy, you know? And he's um, a special talent, and I think, uh, yeah, he's definitely a teacher's pet. Um, if, uh, if anybody gets too close, they might, uh, might get in trouble. <laughs> might get in trouble. So he's impressed out there? Yeah, for time. sure. He's definitely impressed, and I think um, he's uh, he's got a, he's got a – um, a level of comfortability already, but I think as the season goes on, he'll get more and more comfortable, and uh, we're we're committed to helping him do that. Great. Yeah. Uh, who's the most talkative on the team? Most talkative? Wow. Like these superlatives are going to get taken up by one person. Jonathan <laughs> Lewis again. Um, I mean, yeah, he the kid loves to talk, and it's, he's, it's no secret he knows it. Um, if you if you set him up with a microphone um, in front of his locker, he'd probably just sit there and just talk to the <laughs> mic all day every day. So he's. Uh, He's definitely one that could uh, can hold a conversation. That is that is for sure. Who's the quietest? Quietest dude on the team. Wow, that's also tough. I would say who's quiet. I would say, I would say, Evan or James. Evan or James, like cool cats, just like kind of keep to themselves, like but. Don't get it twisted. They have, I think they have a mean streak. You know, um, Evan will put in a mean tackle. James not afraid to get stuck in, but I think off the pitch, just really quiet, collected guys that, um, you know, uh, in any moment you don't don't expect them to be the, the most talkative ones in the room. Who has the best style on the team? Best style, um, wow. I would have given it to Rodney. I would have mm -hmm. given it to Rodney. He had some good style, but Seb, Seb, Seb has some great style, man. He's. Uh, He's a level above the rest. Um, I think followed closely by my man Maxime Cheneau. So those two are my uh, my standouts with style on the team. Worst style. Wow. <laughs> Worst style. Um, man, 
uh, worst style. I just give it to Jonah because I feel like it's the right thing to do. Um, no, nah, <laughs> he's his style's okay. I think everybody everybody's got a decent style. Um, I may catch a little heat sometimes for having the dad outfits, but <laughs> um, that's okay. But no, nah, I think everybody's everybody's pretty decently dressed. So we'll uh, we'll leave that one. Na that, for that. Yeah, one. we'll leave that one. Na, it's cool. a, it's a long year. It's a long year. <laughs> Who do you think is the best bromance on the team? Best bromance. Ooh, that's another good one. I would say. I would say Izzy and Evan, mm. Izzy and Evan, or it could be Ringy and Anton. So those two, I mean, I think they would actually be a good like good matchup, like a nice two v two. If we get some <laughs> of those like inflatable boxing gloves, um, duke it out to see who's uh, who's the best pairing. But I think those two, um, I mean, obviously, um, uh, I think Izzy and Izzy and Evan I think live really close to each other, if not in the same building, so spending a lot of time with each other. So they're. Uh, I would call them the, the best bromance in the team. Anton took the crown when I asked him about it. He said it was definitely them too. Yeah, yeah. All right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I have him duke it out. I have him duke it out. <laughs> um, who is the life of the party? Life of the party. That's a tough one. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to him again. I'm gonna give it to Jonathan. I'm gonna give him the life of the party. I will say that you know whenever there's a time, um, there's a moment that needs a little bit of energy that needs just something. And if he opens his mouth, it's, there's something's going to come out and, and it's going to bring life to the room. So I'll, I'll, give that, I'll give that one to him as well. All right, and let's end on this one. Uh, who is the messiest on the team? The messiest. Ooh. The messiest. You know what? Like, I think last year, maybe, maybe not this year because no one's really been in my locker this mm-hmm. year. Like, I'm not really that messy of a person, but literally things happen a million miles an hour and I'm so like intent on getting out to the training pitch or doing what I have to do that sometimes like things start to like pile up a little bit <laughs> um so I would say I'd say my locker is the messiest but it's a complete polar opposite of how I am at home which is really <laughs> weird so yeah it's uh and if anybody wants to challenge me they can go to my apartment at any time and check it out it's it's sparkling clean I'm always like always picking up but yeah my locker gets to gets to be a little bit messy so what about your car? Your car? Car's clean. Car's clean. Which is, it's weird. It's weird, <laughs> I know. It's weird, but maybe that's something I'll work on this year. So. Cool, Sean. Thanks yeah. so much for your time, man. Yeah, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, no doubt. Camp. Yeah, thanks, bro. Appreciate it.